Well, good evening. I am glad to be here tonight. I hope you're glad to be here. Did you think about Jesus today? We have done this enough this week that now when I get here, we've always got one of the little ones that comes and asks me as soon as I walk in if I thought about Jesus today. I hope you did. He's very, very, very important. He is our life. He is what will take us to eternity. You need to think about Jesus every day. What we're going to talk about a little bit tonight about being a relevant church. I remember coming to Amarillo many years ago when the church was meeting in a little building up on the north side of town. And there were about, I don't know, 20 people. Is that right? Something like that. And I look here now and I go, wow. I mean, you guys have come a long way, haven't you? You really, when you think back to where you've been and all the people you touch now, all the people you have an impact on and an influence on, I just, I am just so, so pleased and so excited to see the growth of the church here. And, you know, a lot of you have have been a part of that building and that growing process. But, you know, Amarillo's got about 220,000 people, I was told today. There's a lot of people here need the gospel. A lot of people in Amarillo need to hear what you guys are teaching. They need to know that. How do we reach them? How do we be relevant? How does the church in America be relevant? Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I believe that makes him very relevant to all of us if we want salvation, right? Do you agree with that? Yeah. Makes him very, very relevant. But the reality in the world that you live in today is that more and more and more, increasingly, this is the picture of Christianity in America. Churches are not growing overall. Now, there are a few that are. America is abandoning their Christian roots in a large way. saw a book the other day, and the title of the book was this question, Are We the Last Christian Generation in America? I believe the answer to that question will largely be answered by the young people that have been here this week, by people like you guys. Whether or not this is the last Christian generation in America or not, And I believe that will be answered very much by the things you do and the direction you go. This was the uh, cover of Newsweek magazine a while back. The Judeo-Christian ethic in America no longer guides our social institutions. Christian ideals and values no longer dominate social thought. The Bible and biblical values are no longer a common basis for moral authority in America. Since the founding of America, they have been. But that's not true anymore. In your generation, in my generation, this has changed. And when I talk about being relevant, what do I really mean when I say the church being relevant? A religiously relevant church. Well, one, let's look at our world, the world that you live in. This is a little bit old, but I believe the quote, really makes sense to a lot of people. That's John Lennon, by the way, if you wondered. 
He said, I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. Now, that's a pretty common belief today. You may have heard me at some point tell about going to Whole Foods Market in Dallas. Now, I am not, you know, into all the Whole Foods necessarily, but I was with some people who were. We went to Whole Foods Market. We pull up, and in the corner of the parking lot's this guy with a toga and a beanie cap and an old VW microbus with a peace sign on the side of it. And he's got him a big crystal, and he's standing there going, oh, oh. And I told my friend, I said, i got to go talk to this guy. And I went over and I said, what do you believe? And he said, well, I believe in the sun. I worship the sun. I said, I do too. He said, no, no, no. I mean the sun that goes across the sky. I said, oh, well, I worship the son of God, Jesus Christ. And he said, well, you know, I, I, that's okay. And I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? He said, well, I think Jesus was a good man, a great prophet, but so was Buddha and so was Muhammad and so was Confucius. And he listed off several like that. And I said, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And he said, yes, but he didn't say the only way, the only truth, the only life. Yes, he did. Because the rest of that verse said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And that means only. That's a common belief nowadays. When you go to college, when your young ones, when these young ones go to college, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, they will be the minority nowadays. That has changed in our culture. You may see this bumper sticker. We see this a lot in Dallas. Let's just all coexist. God's too big to fit in any one place. So he's Christian and Wiccan and pagan and Judaism and science and Buddhism and Islam. God's just in all of them. This is an actual church in Atlanta. This is their advertisement. Bring your own God. And you can believe, if you look at all the symbols, they've got every kind of religious symbol around there. And they say they are the trendiest, friendliest, most radically inclusive worship experience in Atlanta. And they heartily thrive in their multiculturalism and their interfaith and they're promoting LGBTQIJ, whatever all it is. This is a church in Atlanta. I'm not talking about New York City, folks. This isn't San Francisco. This is Atlanta. And it's church. And it's a growing church. We live in a really different world more and more. This is not an uncommon scene. You know, they do studies on things like this. And the news is not good attendance. And 2014 was the last time I could find good, good uh, numbers. So the attendance rate, at regular attendance at worship service, look at the direction of that. Look at the regular importance, what people say is important or if religion or Christianity is important to them. That's the direction. The relevance of it, they say it is less and less relevant. This is a recent Gallup poll. And that's what they say about things. We've got a problem in America. 
Another recent poll said this, only 33% of church-going teens say that the church will play a role in their future lives. I'm not talking about the kids that are pagans that never go to church. I'm talking about kids that go to churches. Only 33% of them say the church will have any role in their future lives. 60% of teens believe all faiths teach equally valid truths. What that means is 60% of teens believe, church-going teens, believe that Islam has an equally valid truth to Christianity. 66% of church-going teens do not believe Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. 51% do not believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And 63% do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's across America. We've got a problem. These are teens. These are the young people who will run the nation in the future. These are their attitudes about Christianity. That's why the question is asked, are we the last Christian generation? Because Christianity has fallen out of favor. And you might say, why does this happen? I mean, how? I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. There was one guy in our town who claimed to be an atheist. One guy. And everyone knew who he was and we all kind of steered clear. Because he was that weirdo that didn't believe in God. How do we go from that to just a few years later this? i tell you one of the primary reasons I believe that's happened is after a while, people are going to quit eating bad fruit. You know, if you give me a banana and I break it open and it's nasty, and you give me another banana and I break it open and it's nasty, and you give me another one and it's nasty, I'm going to quit getting bananas from you, Right? Our culture has been filled with corrupt, immoral, counterfeit Christianity for the last 50 years. We've got preachers who are arrested for embezzling money from their churches, who molest children. You know, the only real difference in most people who claim Christianity in the rest of the world is that they claim Christianity. Christians, and I say, I use the term loosely, but what the world sees as Christianity, people are every bit as dishonest and immoral and rude and deceitful and narcissistic as anyone else. They just claim to be a Christian. Jesus described a religious culture very much like this when He was alive. He said that a religious culture like this was full of dead men's bones. It may have looked good on the outside, but eventually people who know better, people who are mistreated by those who claim to be Christians, they have problems. I I was just in Wheeler, Texas last week and held a meeting there, and they talked about some big church in town that hired a helicopter to come at Easter and drop 10,000 Easter eggs. You had to get tickets to go to this thing, okay? Somebody who was talking to me went. You know what they told me about it? They said, you want to see some unchristian behavior, people shoving kids down trying to get the Easter eggs? 
That's the reason people have given up on Christianity. They see that garbage and they say, we don't want any of that. It's irrelevant. It's meaningless. And they share the opinion of this guy, Elton John, where he said the reality is organized religion doesn't seem to work. That's the opinion of many, many people in this town where this church is. This guy is a preacher, was was voted as one of the 100 most influential people in the world recently. Here's what he said. The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. You see what he's doing? He's putting the Bible on one side of the scale and being relevant on the other side of the scale. And he's saying they're opposites. I want you to know that man's a preacher. I could not disagree with him anymore. I believe the only relevance is God's Word. When we talk about being relevant, what we mean is something that matters. You know, relevant means connected with or applicable to the issue at hand. Let me illustrate that. What do you think about the wall between us and Mexico? No, we don't want any fights right now. But regardless of what side you're on, if you're on Donald Trump's side or you're on Nancy Pelosi's side, let's say you and I are having an argument. And whatever you believe, I'm taking the other side. And we're arguing and we're debating and you're saying, well, but you got to think about this and consider this and think of this about these families. And, and you're making all your arguments and I go, oh, yeah. Well, that all may be true, but the Dallas Cowboys are five times NFL champions. So, is that true? Yes, that's true. Does it have anything to do with a border wall? No. You see, that's irrelevant. Most people in America, when you talk about Jesus, thinks he's just as irrelevant as this. You can believe that if you want. That's fine. Just keep it to yourself and don't bother me and don't bother anyone else with it. Because it's not relevant. When we talk about being religiously relevant, what's religion? Well, religion is a set of beliefs about spiritual things. That's what religion is. And I want you to know that everyone alive has a religion, even people who claim they don't have a religion, because they have a belief about the spiritual. Now, their belief may be there is no spiritual, but they have a belief about the spiritual. And these, all these things, all these varieties and different things right here. See that guy right there? He says, atheist, in science we trust. And he'll tell you he's not religious, but he is religious. His religion is just different than our religion. So what are we going to do in Amarillo, Texas? What are we going to do in Denton, Texas? How can we be relevant? I want to tell you that I do believe that there is hope. But the question I want to talk about is how can we do this? How can we restore this relevance in people's minds, in people's eyes, how can we convince them that Jesus truly is relevant? Well, you know, there's a lot of things we could do. One of the things we could do is we could turn the church into a motivational self-help organization. I want you to know there's nobody will tell you that guy's irrelevant. 
He's got a church in Houston, Texas. Do you know what his attendance is? 50,000 people a week. 50,000 people a week go to his church. You can get him on TV any time of day, 24 hours a day. You can get him on satellite radio any time of day, 24 hours a day. Why is he relevant? Why do people just flock to what he's teaching? He claims to be a Christian. Why is that so powerful and so motivating to people? i tell you why it is. He makes people feel good. They listen to the things he says and they feel good about themselves. He tells them they're winners. He tells them you can achieve anything you can believe. He tells them you're children of the king and God wants his children to have some of the gold. And people like it. You know what he doesn't tell them? Is that they need to repent and turn from their sin. He doesn't tell them that. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus preached a sermon one time, and when he started that sermon, in John chapter 6, there were over 5,000 people present. When Jesus finished his sermon, there were 12. And you know why? There were 12 because they were offended at the things Jesus taught. That's what it says. Now, would you guys consider this a successful meeting if we started with 5,000 and ended with 12? Probably not. But Jesus didn't count things the way we count things. You see, this man that we were just talking about there, he can count lots and lots of people, but he's not teaching God's Word. He's teaching self-help and motivation. And I I promise you, God will help you, but it's not self-help. It's not self-help when you do what God tells you to do. You must repent and turn away. Well, another thing we could do is we could become focused on the seeker. They call it seeker-sensitive worship. And a lot of your big churches, your non-denominational covenant church and faith church and sanctuary church and all these that use these uh, titles like this, They're all seeker-sensitive. They're focused on the seeker. The biggest church in McKinney is called Christ Fellowship. And you go to that church, and I hadn't been there in a long time, but our, our homeschool association used to rent their building for classes. And so I would go to their building. And when you walk in, there's a menu board just like that. And if you want a traditional service, you go to that auditorium. And if you want a contemporary service, you go to this auditorium. And if you want to sip your latte and listen to light Christian jazz, you go over here to this area. And whatever it is, whatever kind of worship experience you want, you can have. And then they got big screens and they pipe the preaching in to all these different places. And you can come dressed in a suit or you can come dressed in your swimsuit. It doesn't make any difference. Whatever you want to do, we're going to provide that for you. That's relevant to people. Churches grow that way. Give people what they want. I can have the experience that I want. This guy here has that very same attitude, and he said this about it. He said, the Bible is inherently flawed and should be amended. You see, the Bible, what the Bible says in those churches doesn't matter. This guy says it's flawed. He was talking about homosexuality when he said it. He said, the Bible's just wrong about homosexuality. We need to change it. That's his attitude. 
You know, if we're going to do that, though, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to cut out pieces of Scripture. We're going to have to de-emphasize the offensive parts of Scripture and accept everyone unconditionally. But I want you to know, especially young people, I hope you're listening. The Bible is not a bag of trail mix that you can pick out the pieces you like and throw the rest of it away. It's not like that. You take it all or you take nothing. I don't believe this is a biblical answer. In fact, Jesus said this, whoever rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus said this isn't the answer. Well, what is the answer? Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could engage the community with the language, imagery, and music of the culture. When I was working on this lesson, I actually found a church called Relevant Church. I guess that would be a way to be a relevant church, huh? Just name your church that. We can engage the community. We can, we can have music that sounds just like their music. And we can do the stuff they do. And we can bring in a helicopter and drop 10,000 eggs. Well, I mean, we can do these kinds of things. In fact, LifeChurch.tv, you don't even have to go. Just log on to your internet and you can watch TV anywhere, anytime, like a podcast. And that's your faith. That's your relationship with God. We can turn our assemblies into a snappy beat and a smidge of Scripture. I've told you I teach at this Christian school. A lot of kids go to these kinds of churches. They're good kids. They love Jesus and they know Jesus loves them. But as far as the Bible goes, most of them think the Bible is T-shirt slogan material. It's for T-shirts. It's not something you live your life by. I want to tell you, if you have trouble telling the difference between your church and a rock concert, you might be at the wrong church. It doesn't need to be that way. Jesus said this, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If your church, if your idea of being relevant in Christianity is to do something so that everyone in the community feels welcome and they feel like they can come and be a part without changing anything in their life, that's the wrong answer. So what should we do? I could spend a lot of time talking about wrong answers. What's the right answer? How can we be relevant? How can we move forward in this effort to be relevant and yet be biblical and be scriptural. Well, number one, we must know and teach truth. You know, opinions change, but truth doesn't. If it was true a thousand years ago, it's true today, and it'll be true a thousand years from now when we're talking about spiritual things. Truth does not change. Truth is relevant. It's always relevant. And spiritual truth is relevant because God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? Do you believe that? God hasn't changed. People haven't changed. You're just like Adam and Eve were. You try to hide your sins when you get caught, don't you? That's just natural. You try to blame other people when you do something that's wrong. We're the same way. Sin hasn't changed. And because God, sin, and people haven't changed, the same truth that dealt with God, sin, and people a thousand years ago 
deals with God's sin and people today and will deal with God's sin and people in the future. Jesus said this, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's my strong conviction that we find this truth only in the Bible. And that's why we have these gospel meetings, right? I mean, y'all could do anything in the summer, couldn't you? You could have a camping trip instead of a gospel meeting. Couldn't you do that? Would everybody enjoy that? Would you have fun on a camping trip? Everybody but Jason would like that. Okay. Camping trip's fine. Go fish and spend some time in the mountains or something. We could do that. But you know what? That doesn't help people spiritually. That doesn't set anyone free. That's just having fun. Now, there's nothing wrong with a camping trip. Not even anything wrong with a bunch of people in the same church going on a camping trip together. But you need the Bible. You need spiritual truth to help set people free from the spiritual bondage that they're in. Jesus said, once again, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Second piece, number one, you've got to know and teach truth. Number two, you've got to know Jesus. And we've talked about that quite a bit this week, right? That's why I keep asking you, did you think about Jesus today? It's not enough to know who Jesus is. You have to know Jesus. You have to have a relationship with Him. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, Who do people think I am? What do people say about me? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some Elijah and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, with Jesus, it's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to take a theology class. It's not enough to say you're a Christian, but you have to know Jesus Christ. Number three, we have to meet them where they are. When we're talking about being relevant to people who aren't Christians, we've got to meet them where they are. The days of saying, okay, we're going to have a gospel meeting and all the people in the community who aren't Christians are going to come and are going to hear the gospel. I've heard those old stories. I know that used to happen. But those days, those days are gone. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with gospel meetings. They're very, very valuable in a lot of ways for building up the church and for teaching the gospel to people who come. But most people don't come, do they? How many visitors from the community have we had this week? We've had a few, haven't we? Have we had a hundred? No. We had a thousand? No. I don't know how many we've had, but there's a lot of people that need to be taught. We have to meet them where they're at. Somebody says, well, I don't, I don't even know if that's biblical or not. That doesn't sound really biblical to try to go meet people where they are. That almost sounds seeker-sensitive, doesn't it? We don't want to do that. How do we meet people where they are and stay biblical? Well, look what Paul said. Paul said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Look at what he says here. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Do you know how Jesus taught the Jews? Look at this. 
When Paul went to teach, it says they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. You know what he did? Is he went in to their synagogues and he preached in their synagogues. He was Jew. He uh, Jewish heritage. He had been a Pharisee. He had the right to do that. And he would go in to their assemblies and get up and open the Old Testament Scriptures and reason with them how that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That's what he would do. But that's not what he did everywhere. When he was dealing with those who are without law, he dealt with them as though they were without law. Look here in Athens. He went into Athens and he walked around and he saw all their pagan idols. And he stopped in front of one to the unknown God. And he says, the one you know without, or you worship without knowing, here I proclaim to you. As also some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So look at the difference here. When Paul went to a bunch of Jews, he went into those Jews and he went to their church service and he preached out of the Old Testament to them to convert them. But when he went to a bunch of pagans in Athens, not saying you guys are the pagans, but when he did that, he quoted pagan poets and talked to them about their religious beliefs. Would it do any good to quote Jeremiah to a bunch of pagans? No, they don't even know who Jeremiah is. Would it do any good to quote a pagan prophet to a bunch of Jews? No, it wouldn't do any good. You see, what Jesus did is Jesus met people where they were. He was relevant to people where they were. Why did He do that? He said, I've become all things to all men. Why? Why, Paul? I'll tell you why. That I might win. That I might win. That I might win. That I might win. That by all means, we might save some. See, Paul wanted to save people. There are places I go that I wear a suit a lot. I've worn a suit some here and not. There are other places I go don't wear a suit at all because of the people there. There's nothing right or wrong about that. It's just different. Most of you know I grew up in Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma Sooner football fan. I am. I waited till the end of the week to tell you that, but I am. But you know what? When I go to Austin to help Ram down there at the church in Austin, I don't wear my OU cap. And it's not because I'm afraid somebody will beat me up. It's because how silly would it be for me to offend someone with a stinking football cap when I'm trying to talk to them about their soul? Do you understand what I'm saying? How silly that is? Meet people where they're at. Help them. We need to accommodate culture without compromising truth. We need to accommodate the world that we live in as much as we can without compromising truth. And you do that by accommodating your approach without accommodating your message. You don't change the message. The message is the same. But the approach is different depending on where you are and what you do. You use different approaches. Now, that shouldn't be strange to us. It's already happened in my lifetime. In the early 20th century, they used to have two-week gospel meetings. Do any of y'all remember those? Jay, do you remember two-week gospel meetings? They used to be common. Two weeks 
you think this week has been hard. Uh, just this evening, somebody came in and he said, I'm done. <laughs> it's been a whole week. This has been hard. They used to do it for two, two times a day for two weeks. And you know what happened? They converted lots of people. You know why? People didn't have anything else to do. Everybody came to church. That was the social event. And when you had a gospel meeting at the Church of Christ, the Baptists came and the Methodists came and the Catholics came and the Atheists came, if there were any of those around. I mean, everybody came and they heard the gospel preached. But times changed. We got air conditioning. We got cars. We got spendable cash. We got movie theaters and sod puppies and, and all kinds of other things around. Stuff you can do. And everybody had other stuff to do. So, you know what we did in the last part of the 20th century? We did five-part Bible studies with people. I learned the five-part Bible study from Jay. He was at a meeting in Tishomingo, Oklahoma, and I went up there and he said, Hey, hang around, I want to show you something. You know what? I did five-part Bible studies with people for years. Baptized lots of people. Some of you obeyed the gospel from sitting through a five-part Bible study, didn't you? And it was very effective for that time. Because you see, the people we were dealing with in that time were largely like us. They believed in Jesus. They believed the Bible. They believed in God. They had the same moral values that you and I have. They were in our schools. They were our friends. They did the same things we did. And they could set aside five nights to study the Bible with you. It's not so anymore. I'm not saying you can't ever do those, but it's hard to find five nights. You might say, well, you know, people have always been busy. That's true. They have. I can remember my grandfather talking about when he was young, standing out at the end of the row, waiting for it to get light enough for him to plow, and him plowing all day long, and then coming in when it was too dark to see, putting up the animals, doing the chores, eating something, going to bed, and getting up the next morning, doing the chores, and be waiting at the end of the row to start plowing again. People have always been busy. But the busy today is different. Because in the past, the busy... They had control over. They could be real busy, but they had control of their own schedule. Today, it's not that way. If you've got two or three kids and they're in a bunch of different sports and you got school and, I mean, you, you know, two or three kids is all it takes to take up every night of the week. Am I right? You say, well, give me just five nights. People are going, I hadn't had five nights in two years. What are we going to do? We need to accommodate the culture without changing the message, you see. Same message, just different culture, different approach. I've got some practical suggestions here. Number one, the quickest way for us to become totally irrelevant is to be like crabs in a bucket. You know, if you have just one crab in a bucket... It'll never get out. But if you have two crabs in a bucket, I mean, if you have one crab in a bucket, yeah, he'll never get out. If you got, no, he can get out. I'm saying it all wrong. I'm confusing y'all, aren't I? One crab can get out of a bucket, but if you have two, they can't get out of the bucket. You know why? Because if one gets his claw up on the edge of the bucket, you know what the other one's going to do? Whack, 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 and knock him down. That's 
That's just real common. When we go to, to Galveston, we put more than one crab in a bucket for that reason. If we attack each other, if we turn on each other, if we put each other down for the differences in our approaches, we will quickly become irrelevant. You know, people do all kinds of different things, but different communities are different. I went to Stillwater, Oklahoma a couple of years ago. You know what we did? We read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation out loud without stopping in the public park. We got 24 hours a day, all day, all night, all day, all night, all day. We just kept reading and we took turns. When somebody's voice would get tired, somebody else would step in. You know what? They got some Bible studies out of that. Did you know that 24 hours a day, college kids are in the park? I don't know why, but they are. Don't do that in a retirement community. They'll arrest you. (laughs) I want you to know, I heard people criticizing the church in Stillwater for that effort. They said, oh, that's dumb. You don't should. What good is it? Listen, if we start tearing each other down for our different approaches, we will so quickly become irrelevant. Because where there's fighting and beating people up, that's, that's no good. It just destroys the outreach. And you know what it'll do is it'll discourage people from trying things that are different. It'll discourage people from doing things that are different. Let's don't do that. If people are doing something different than you do, unless it violates Scripture, encourage them. Say, hey, I heard y'all are doing something different. God bless you. I hope it works. If it does, let us know about it. Let us know how this is going. Why? Because, well, if it works there, maybe it'll work here. Why? That we might win, that we might save some. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. Look for people who already see the relevance of religion. In the book of Acts, you got all these people that stories of them converted. Almost every single one of them were very religious before they were converted. Did you know that? The Ethiopian had ridden in a chariot hundreds of miles to worship God. The people on the day of Pentecost had all come many, many miles to come worship God. Almost all of them were... Cornelius was a very devout religious person. You need to look for religious people. Look for people who already see relevance in religion. When you do that, you'll have opportunity because those people share that interest. You know, one of the things that I've done that I've had pretty good success with is just go to a Starbucks and open my Bible and start reading. Almost every time someone will talk to me. And they'll talk to me about religion. Now, occasionally it'll be someone who's a smart aleck, doesn't like me reading the Bible in public, but not usually. I've got a t-shirt, Church of Christ Nigeria, bright green. Some of you have seen these bright green t-shirts. Some of you may have them. Almost never do I go out in public without getting some kind of comment about that and opportunity to talk to someone. Amazingly, a lot of people ask me if I'm from Nigeria. I go, really? (laughs) You haven't been to Nigeria, have you? I was in Jamaica, went in one of these little shops where they're selling stuff. My daughter was trying to buy something. And the lady standing there looked at me and she said, 
are you from Jamaica or from Nigeria? And I said, no, no, I just do mission work there. She said, oh, you're a Christian. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, huh, and just turned around. She worked at the little shop. And I said, I said, excuse me, ma'am. And she looked up and I said, are you a Christian? And she looked at me and she said, I'm a believer. I said, well, what's the difference in a believer and a Christian? And she said, once you become a Christian, when you get baptized, you can never, ever, ever turn away from Jesus. I said, that's right. I said, are you telling me you believe in Jesus, but you've never been baptized? She said, yeah, that's right. Because you can never, ever turn away from me. I said, well, that's true. Jesus said, if you start and you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're better off to never start. I said, but you need to know this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming and you don't know when. You need to be baptized. And about that time, Bruce Kessler, who was with me, walked up. And I said, in fact, this man is an elder in the Lord's church. And I said, we could baptize you right now. And she looked at me and she looked at him. He said, that's right. In the name of the Father. And she said, and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I said, yeah, that's right. She said, but we would need water. I said, the ocean's right across the street. <laughs> and she stood there. And right then they drove up with our bus that we had to get on and go back to the boat. And I said, well, and she said. And she reached out and grabbed my hand and she said, pray for me. And we prayed for her right there. I prayed that she would have the courage and the conviction to go ahead and be baptized into Christ. Her name was Lisa. I don't know what's happened to her. I have prayed for her ever since then. The reason I tell you this is you can talk to people. There are people who are spiritually minded. They really are. Look for people who are spiritually minded. Another, look for people who are seeking answers to genuine questions. At some point, every human being alive will look in the mirror and go, how did I get this messed up? My life is a wreck. Every, you've done it, haven't you, at some point? To some degree? Everyone will. Look for your friends. Look for people you work with that you see their life is in crisis and they're in a mess. That's one of the reasons Craig goes down to the mission. Those people's lives are in a mess and they know it. And when people's lives are in a mess, they're a whole lot more likely to listen to an answer than when they think everything's going well and I don't need the answer. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, people have questions. I had a young man come to me at church here a while back. He came up and he said, hey, can we have coffee together? He said, I've got some questions. I said, yeah, what's going on? He said, well, my friends have these questions and I don't know how to answer them. He's a college student. I said, sure. We got together and I said, well, what's your question? He said, well, he said, how could you serve a God that commands his followers to commit genocide in his name? I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, over in 1 Corinthians 15, God told the Israelites to kill all the Amalekites. And I figured out real quick, he wasn't asking questions from someone else. He read a book 
against Christianity. And he put those questions in his mind and he didn't have an answer. Would you have an answer to that? I tell you, there's some hard questions, very difficult questions. And I don't have answers to all of them, but I work on it. You need to be working to be able to answer those questions, struggle with it, think about it, deal with it. Because there are people, some people ask those questions just to be skeptics, but some people are honest. Some people want to know. Some people's faith has been shaken by some of this stuff, and they need you to help them stand back up on a solid foundation. Look for people who are interested in religion and whose life is in crisis. And if you'll find those kind of people, maybe you can do a five-part Bible study with them. If you can, God bless you. That's great. But if you can't, then sit in the coffee shop and talk to them. You don't have to have a formal study with them. Do something to reach out to the community that you live in, to the people that you know, to the people whose lives are touched and influenced by you. Remember, you're an ambassador for Christ. And as an ambassador, it's critical that you realize that the, now then we are ambassadors to Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message. And an ambassador must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You know, it's hard when you've seen something a certain way all of your life to change your mind and see it a different way. I have had a tendency at times in my life when I would try to set up a five-part Bible study with someone and they say, no, I'm too busy. My attitude at times has been, well, fine, if you're too busy to learn about it, then just go. That's not the right attitude. That's not the right help. That doesn't win anyone. Our goal is to win souls, to save people. And I want you to know, it's not easy to see. I did a Bible study with a young man one time whose father was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we were talking about baptism. And I said, what's 1 Peter 3.21 say? And it says, the like figure whereinto even baptism does also now save us. And he read it and he looked at me and we'd been studying for, you know, several times. And he looked at me and he said, go on to your next verse. And I said, no, I want you to answer that question. What's the Bible teach about that? And he sat there for a second and he said, I'm not going to answer that because that's not what I believe. You know what I did? Boy, I was firm with the truth. I slapped that Bible closed and I said, we don't have anything else to talk about. You read it. You know what the Bible says? We had nothing else to say. And I left. And a couple of days later, I was talking to my dad, and I told him about that. I said, can you believe he read it out of the Bible, and he wouldn't even accept it? And my dad said, Michael, Michael, Michael. I said, what? I was standing up for the truth. He said, you have to understand that for the first time in that young man's life, he was facing the question... Is there something more important to me than doing what God says? Because he'd always believed he was doing what God says. It's confusing when you've all of your life been taught one thing, and now you read something that says something else, and you go, that can't be right. He said, you always have to back off and give them time. 
And I've prayed that God has given that young man more opportunity with people who are more patient than I was. You see, when you see that, I'm going to show you a picture of two old people, an old man and an old woman, okay? And I want you to look at this picture. You see the old man and the old woman as they're there? What if I were to tell you this isn't really a picture of an old man and an old woman? It looks like it. But really, it's a picture of a young man and a young woman. Do y'all see the young man and the young woman? Some of you do, but some of you don't. Now, let me show you. There's the young man. See, there's his face and there's his guitar and his hat. Y'all see that now? And there's the young woman. She's holding something up on her head. You see that? But if this is all you've ever seen, for somebody to come tell you, no, that's not an old man and an old woman. That's a young man and a young woman. You're just dumb. You just can't see. Well, that doesn't do any good. You have to do this and help them see. You have to help them explain it to them. Help them understand it. And that takes time. It takes patience. It takes love. And that's what God calls us to. You find people who are interested in religion and then you have patience with them and you take time with them and you help them see and you help them understand so that when they look at this, they can still see the young man and the young woman. But that's difficult. You see, our goal, the thing that's got to motivate us above all things is to be like Paul, that we might by some means save some that we might win the Jews by being like a Jew. And we might win those that are at the mission by being like those that are at the mission. And, and be relevant to people in their lives and love them and care for them and be patient with them. Because the most precious thing in the world is to be right with God. That's the most valuable thing in the world. And you guys have that right here. You've got that in this room. You've got that truth. And there's 220,000 people around you that need it. I encourage you in your personal life, start looking for people that are, see relevance in religion. Start looking for people who have crisis in their life. I want to close with this last story. There was a young man on a beach and see stars had starfish had washed up on the beach and you know if a starfish lays on the beach it'll dry out and it'll die and this little boy was walking along picking them up and throwing them out in the water and throwing them out in the water and this old man walked by and he said what are you doing and the kid said i'm saving starfish and the young the old man said look son there's thousands of them on this beach you can't make any difference the little boy reached down and picked up one and threw it out in the ocean, looked back at the old man and said, I did to that one. You can't save 220,000 people, but you can save someone. You can make a difference. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've got that. Share that with people around you. If there's any way we can encourage you or pray for you or you want to be baptized into Christ, we offer an invitation at the end of this lesson to encourage you to do that. If we can assist you, please come to the front while we stand and sing.